15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah, yeah wait, here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Our homes today are like little cities full of different interneting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town, from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Monday, December 16th. So you will be hearing us on Tuesday, the 17th, getting near the holiday season, approaching the end of 2019, the end of a decade, and we still have very little in the way of actual Cubs news to discuss. The winter meetings have come and gone since we spoke with you guys last, and we did not have to jump back on, so nothing of grave importance has happened, but still some goings-on in the Cubs world that we will break down, and I I will bring you in here, Brendan. We are approaching the end of a decade of Cubs baseball. Uh, how, How are you feeling as we end 2019 here? There's always a good reason to celebrate any World Series, right? So the fact that the decade is over... We've seen tweets from MLB saying, hey, what's the World Series game of the decade or who's the team of the decade? So there's always, you know, good reason to tweet about the Cubs World Series. But this one in particular, you got to take advantage of it. Anytime there's any opportunity to say the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, you got to take advantage of it. So safe to say, I'm assuming your answer to favorite World Series of the decade and and team of the decade is the the 2014 Giants, correct? Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Uh, It is the 2016 Chicago Cubs. That is a great 
point, Brendan. Uh, yes, I will take any and every opportunity to shoehorn that in- answer. But but in realistically, there. like if you had to pick, I, it's it's difficult. But one moment outside of the World Series victory, like do you have one that kind of stands out? That's not necessarily obvious. Wow. I mean, I think. I always go back to the way that that what is it 2014 when the Giants beat the Royals just the way that that game six I believe is that game yeah. six the way that series ends with games uh, it was game seven the Alex Gordon uh yes right that's almost, what I'm talking yeah, about that's game right. seven yeah him getting wild. to third base being left there it ending on a pop-up right in front of him I mean it's just a wild way to end a World Series. And I mean, then you follow that up with the next year with the Royals winning and the Mets leading in like four of those games by the seventh or eighth (laughs) inning, but not winning the series. It was a a fascinating couple years with the Royals there. And then obviously uh, the following year, the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. So uh, a good stretch uh, of World Series there. Yeah, I was seeing some of the debates and it is funny and I participated in it, trust me. But anytime these questions are asked, all of us from Cubs Twitter, just say the Cubs, no matter what the question <laughs> is. It doesn't really matter. And it was funny to to see people actually get into the nuance of like, well, Game 7 of the 2016 World Series is probably one of the greatest baseball games, maybe greatest sports games ever played. And, you know, certainly for people who didn't have as much emotional investment in the, in the kind of uh, roller coaster of it all. But was it the best series? And the answer is probably not. Some of those games get a little out of control in in one direction or the other. So looking at some of those other series from this past decade, maybe it's not in there, but that was my point. It was funny. The Cubs, you know, all of us are just like, nah, it was the best series. Like, yeah, I don't care if the games were exciting. It was definitely the best series, definitely the best game. So yes, the 2016 Chicago Cubs. But Getting into a slightly uh, less entertaining and fun topic, we can talk about the 2020 Cubs, everybody. Mm, Isn't everybody yes. excited? So, the same team. Right. So uh, not a lot went on at the winter meetings. We do have you know a couple of little things, had the Rule 5 drafts, some other things of note. I suppose we can start uh, by mentioning that the Cubs did ink Brandon Morrow to a deal minor league deal, pretty much no risk. Um, I, I don't know if you had extensive thoughts on that, Brendan, but but this is It is what it is. I mean, that's yeah. what it, that's, seriously, it is It is what it is. You know, he's going to be paid $1 million as a base salary incentives upwards to $1.25. Like we've heard in years past, Morrow's arm is feeling good, whatever that means. Uh, but if, if the Cubs are really that money tight, it does give you maybe a little bit of encouragement that they're willing to spend $1 million on, to me, what seems like a you know improbable return. I know he's yeah. had years of, of good performances after injuries, but it's it's they've piled up. These injuries have piled up, and I don't really have much to expect from Morrow at all. Yeah, I think the the first thing to throw out there is this is no risk. I mean, if he's able to get back out there, you're talking about a super high-end bullpen option that you're paying nothing. And it's like a broken record, though. We've said this. sure, but I, I think like that when literally two years, I think that when someone like Morrow, who certainly a lot of the fan base is so absurdly sick of hearing about. 
when they see that the Cubs have re-signed him, even even though it's a, a minor league deal, they're like, what on earth are they doing? Like, get this guy yeah. out of here. And I think it's just one of those times you have to be like, look, I'm not going to, I didn't really want to have to think about this again or hear what distance he's throwing from today, right? Has he made it to 80 feet, 90 feet, whatever? But it's there there's no risk it it's really an only reward thing though like you i did kind of like raise my eyebrows thinking like i don't know I like we've been hearing so much about how they don't have any money and how they might be cutting payroll and what direction are they going as an organization it just seems like a weird 1 million dollars to hand out if for a guy that hasn't pitched in in over a year and obviously yeah. they have a better idea of where he's at and and what exactly is going on with him than anybody else because they've been a part of this process while he's been hurt. So I I suppose maybe that gives you at least a little hope that they think it's humanly possible he's able to be an effective major league pitcher again. But it, it was one of those things. It's just an odd move. Like all of the you know, waiver claims and the minor league deals and and some of those things for some of these other random players that we've heard. You're like, oh, okay, this makes sense. They're trying to stockpile guys that are, you know, trying to reinvent themselves, reinvent their careers, et cetera. This makes sense. But like paying that much, even though it's nothing to a guy that hasn't pitched in over a year, you're like, okay, I'm trying (laughs) to figure out how to read this. Maybe there isn't a way to read this. It's just something they wanted to do. But I I also think it's, and, and not that he was likely to get something much larger than that. But it is always good when you have someone like Moro who clearly wants to contribute something to the organization. I like I don't think he feels bad for having made all that money. They agreed to a deal and it didn't work out. It happens. But clearly Brandon doesn't feel great that he wasn't able to live up to his end of the bargain and wants to contribute something to this team. So that that's always a good thing. But yeah, this is pretty low stakes and I wouldn't read that much into it other than maybe just being a little a little intrigued as to what it might right. mean uh, that they were interested in doing this. Well, it's a little weird too because if you add up some of these deals, like Almora likely will make 1.8 million in arbitration. Then you have Jarrell Cotton who will be making 600,000. You add 1 million tomorrow and you're looking at around a, th- a little over 3 million dollars total spent on those three guys. And the only reason we bring this up is because we're hearing reports that the Cubs have to move salary for Nick Castellanos and even at the midpoint last year before Ben Zobris's issues were kind of made totally public about his payroll and whatnot, the Cubs supposedly couldn't even afford like a mid-level reliever around $5 million that would come over in a trade. So seeing those types of deals being dispersed and millions of dollars being dispersed outside, you know, really high probable returns, it does make you think, okay, what will the payroll actually end up being? Right now, we're at $215 million. Last year, we ended around $240 million, $3 million outside the first place slot for the highest payroll. I still think, and this is how I've been operating, I would be shocked, Corey, if this team is not a top three payroll next year, if not the, the highest payroll, given what we're seeing from the Dodgers and even from the Yankees, despite that Garrett Cole signing. So 
a lot of talk about the Cubs not being willing to spend, but they spent one million on Morrow. They're going to spend almost two million on Amora, maybe upwards to a million on Cotton with his incentives and whatnot. So it, you know, maybe it's not going to be as dire of a financial restriction as we think right now. Yeah, and I mean, we've certainly heard a lot about the potential for them to cut payroll. And I know that if you peruse Cubs Twitter and stuff, you've got people who are already plotting out the rebuild, so to speak, but they haven't done anything. So that that's right. kind of where it gets a little hard to figure exactly what's going on here, where I, I read all of this, I understand the language that comes out of the beat writers and just the tone around this team right now that we've been discussing pretty much this whole offseason, but they haven't done anything. And when you look at things, even like the most predominant rumors that we've discussed in Wilson Contreras and, and Chris Bryant in particular, uh, which again, I'll remind you, namely on Chris Bryant, they should not do, they should not trade him. Okay. So just going to make that clear anytime I need to. But those aren't, you know, even if you're looking at those things because they're the strongest rumors and they would be ways to navigate the payroll a little more uh, effectively, if that's your ultimate goal, they're not necessarily that easy to pull off, right? If, if you're not willing to settle on a package that is not worthy of those particular players, it's not necessarily something you can just snap your fingers and say, oh, okay, we've got all these suitors lined up and they all want to give us exactly what we want. So great, we can just do that. You may make the calls around and find that the teams that have the openings for those positions don't want to pony up what you want. There there was a rumor going around that the Padres and Cubs had talked and those talks were over because the Cubs asking price for Wilson Contreras was astronomical. And right. so that's sort of the the problem. I under and and it, it's all just to make the larger point that I understand that some some people will read this and maybe it's ultimately what happens as this is what's going to happen. They are going to shed payroll. This is, you know, we're on a freight train where this is the collision course, but it's, it's not that easy. There's a lot of moving parts in actually making that stuff happen. And it, and it brings us to where we can kind of like get rolling here, uh, on the Cubs related podcast for this edition Going back to some of this winter meetings talk, and one thing that Theo Epstein said, and I'm reading this quote from NBC's Tony Andraki, he says, quote, status quo is not a bad option, but we're obviously out there looking to make changes and change the dynamic and improve and grow. This was in response to a question of what if they arrived at spring training with a very similar roster that we saw in 2019. So, Brendan, I, I will throw it to you. What do you think about the status quo? Because I, when we ended the 2019 season, you and I got on this podcast, we cursed an awful lot, and I think basically said that they better not do the status quo because the status <laughs> quo just finished in third place behind a Christian yelich list Brewers team and a Cardinals team led by Mike Schlitt. So that wasn't going to cut it. Now, before I let you jump in, I will say that I have arrived at the point in this offseason, and I've told you this several times, that as long as Chris Bryant is a Chicago Cub when they take the field to start the 2020 season, I don't know that I'm going to complain about anything that goes on because they have basically terrified me into thinking he's going to get traded 
so that if he doesn't, I'm probably just not going to complain. I might not be happy about the overall situation, but my goal for the rest of the offseason is that Chris Bryant is Chicago Cub. What other choices do the Cubs have? If you're not going to get the return you want for Contreras or the return you want for Chris Bryant, then of course it makes no sense to deal two of the best players in the league, right? So like, of course, status quo is not the worst thing if you're not going to get the return you want. That being said, the status quo from a personnel, from a roster standpoint, is very different from what they've done internally, what they've done with their hitting development, what they've done with their manager, their coaching staff, everything else outside of the roster that you hope will actually yield results. So they haven't stayed status quo in that regard. And going back to that explicit episode, a lot of our cursing was directed at the coaching, at the scouting, at the medical staff, at the development infrastructure. All of those are now changed in two, three months. Now they're all changed. So they have accomplished, for for me, what I thought was the most pressing issues, the main reason why we're even in this position right now where we're talking about trading Chris Bryant or Contreras to elongate your win window, to give back more prospects because your current ones over the years never really panned out because you couldn't develop guys past the first round. Now, hopefully that is addressed. So I, I think the status quo is something that is realistic and something that to a degree is logical. It doesn't mean though, Corey, like, hey, you can't go out and get one or two more bullpen arms or you can't go out and acquire or sign a player of Brock Holt's caliber, a heavy contact guy that plays multiple positions. The status quo some people want is you know, they're thinking, okay, status quo is hey, we're not gonna go out and make a drastic change. That's okay. You know, if that's what it is, I don't want to trade Chris Bryant if you're not going to get five plus war to come back right away in 2020. Because if you don't do that, it makes no sense to even spend money on this roster because you're losing such an integral part that's almost impossible to make up. Status quo is something that's going to be misinterpreted by Theo, but for me, if they go into the year and they address their depth issue with some... I don't want to call them minor signings, but some signings that are not as financially, you know, restrictive, then I'm okay with that. I think there's some positive gains to be had from maybe players like Ian Hab, or positive gains to be had from a full year of Kyle Schwarber, a full year of this bullpen of Rowan Wick, of Kyle Ryan, of Brad Wick. I think there is reason to at least consider that the status quo, how they ended 2020, assuming everyone's healthy, is not the worst plan right now. Yeah, I think, and again, we, we end up saying something similar to this every time, but at the, at the start of the offseason and even when it ends, like you would have liked for them to have spent money and made this team unquestionably better. We say that every time. That's what they should have done. That's still what they should do with the players that are available out there. But if that is not what they are going to do, if you're giving me the options between trading some of these core guys and kind of starting a like soft rebuild type of thing, or keeping some of our favorite players and some of the, you know, certainly one person in particular who's you know one of the best players to put on a Cubs uniform, I'm going to take option B. I, it doesn't mean that it was the best strategy, and it doesn't mean I'm necessarily happy about it, but at the end of the day, this team was competing for a division title in September. 
uh, we can go on with the litany of excuses as to what happened to them down the stretch, and maybe that would be different next year. Maybe it's worse. I, I don't know, right? But that's not really the point. The point is, and and we've said this too, like there's a weird dialogue around this team, and I, I, I think I said this on the last episode where like there, there has to be a middle ground between if this team does nothing, they're the worst team in the league, right? And if they don't, which they can't now, sign Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon, they have no chance. Like there's got to be a middle ground somewhere. Right. This was this was a competitive team last year. Every team has injuries, so you don't want to look at some of that stuff as an excuse. Certain players didn't really get going until the second half. Nick Castellanos is currently not with the team. He obviously played a large role. So there, there's a lot of different nuances there, but th- there is a lot of talent on this team. When we were railing about this team failing down the stretch last year, we repeatedly said that we believed there was more talent in this team than they were showing on the field and that their record was reflecting. And that's still true. Again, you don't have to be happy about it. And it's not the way that they should have approached this offseason if everybody had their way, if you were doing it in an ideal way. But I I don't think that you would show up in spring training with this group and think, oh yeah, like this group's going to compete for last place with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Like, no, come on. Like the, yeah. this roster is competitive. The Reds have gotten better. The Brewers have probably gotten a little bit worse. The Cardinals are about the same. Like the, the, this Cubs team can compete with them. And, and especially if you get a few things to go the right way, Kyle Schwarber playing like he did in the second half last year for a full season, maybe Ian Happ starting the season with the team this year, a novel concept. I know. Uh, but, and being able to try his role and maybe flourish, take another step in his career, stuff can go the right way, right? So it, it's all just to say, like, it's not like the end of the world if they do that. A- am I happy about it? No, they, they should have tried to get better and they should still be doing that. There's still time to do that. Uh, but I do think there's a middle ground between, between that. But like I said, kind of when I threw it to you, Brennan, like I I'm at the point where I'm terrified of some of the other options that I just want Chris Bryant to be on the Cubs and for them not to like really mess up this group to the point where we have to get rid of some of our favorite players and some guys we envision being Cubs for a long time. So if those are my two options, I'm going to take the status quo, even if I have to kind of grit my teeth when doing it. Keep your whole home running like clockwork. From the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet, you'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. The bench, Corey, the middle ground you're talking about, the way I like interpret that is substituting value from guys who cost you value last year. Del Scalso, 200 plate appearances worth negative 0.8 war. 
Uh, you're going to kill me for saying this. Albert Amora Jr., 360 plate appearances, negative 0.7 war. And then you sum that up with Carlos Gonzalez, Jonathan Lucroy, Tony Kemp, Mark Zagunis, even Martin Maldonado for his four games. We're talking about a sum of negative three war against this team. You replace that bench with even like a borderline league average value, right? And you get a bench that actually may be good. We're talking about three to four wins right there alone. Just having a competent bench, having that type of depth could increase your war total from just your offense by four, okay? And then you get some type of you know, good situational bullpen arms. You don't blow these games. You don't have this type of extremes from some of your bullpen guys. That already goes your your that puts your win record close to ninety. Just by the way they played last year, you factor in some of the health. Get Chris Bryant healthy the entire second half, not having to miss a few weeks because of so many injuries. Same thing with Javi Baez and his thumb. I know these sound like excuses, but these are legitimate things to consider. There is a middle ground. There's no, you know, we we operate in these extremities. Hey, we need to trade Chris Bryant. Hey, we need to trade Wilson Contreras because their time is up in two years and you got to extend that win window. That's one extreme. And the other extreme is, hey, don't do anything. Keep the bench. Keep Tony Kemp. Have Zagunas come up when he needs to. That's, that's not good enough either. But having the ability to get that competent bench could make a huge difference. And yeah, Corey, you talk about Ian Happ, Playing a full year with the Cubs, that can mean something. He ended the season last year with a 368 weighted on base average. So there are good reasons to suggest that, and I hate using the word status quo, but this I, I get what Theo is saying. There is good reason to suggest that the talent on this roster, the core talent on the roster, with supplements in the form of bench bats, again, like Brock Holt, it makes sense that this team already, with those changes, would be the best team in the NL Central. I know that's not going to be a splashy thing to say or something that's going to be really get you pumped up, but at least where I'm at. I, I just want to jump in there because I, I have two thoughts with what, what you were saying. The, the first of which is going back to what I was saying before, where it's not always that easy to line up in a trade with somebody, if you, even if you're trying to go down that route. If they were going to do that, and the calls you're making now on Wilson and KB and whoever else you're looking to at least explore the option of trading, if the price isn't right now, you can go into the season with those guys, and if the team doesn't perform and keeping the status quo doesn't work, you can always re-explore these things at the trade deadline. Well, I think some of the logic there, though, Corey, is you can trade Chris Bryant, give back some prospects, but you also give back immediate MLB value that you can you know, put in the outfield, for example. So I think there's two lines of thinking with those types of trades. The first one is, yeah, maybe it would be like a soft rebuild, as you're suggesting. Or on the other hand, maybe you can get back some guys that not only allows the Cubs to extend their win window right. beyond 2021, but also allows them to win in 2020 and 2021. And I think if you wait, and I don't want to trade Chris Bryant, but I think if you wait until the trade deadline, you run the risk of punting. 2021 to, to some degree. And then you run the risk of if you trade Chris Bryant, maybe we should go out and trade Wilson Contreras as well because we're not going to compete in 2021. So there is a weird type of balance you have to think about. 
but I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, it, I, it, I just meant that like it, it doesn't ha- like you don't have to look at it necessarily as like you have to commit to this idea right this second. And if the price isn't what you want, well, you committed, so you just got to do it. Like you can you can be flexible with this. You don't have to just like put all your chips into one decision right now, even if it doesn't line up with it. Like you don't have to say, look, we're trading Chris Bryan. And then if you don't get the return that you want, well, we're committed to this. So too bad. Like you, you it, right. there, there's not a limit on when these things can happen, even if you do need to kind of like plot these things out forward. But the other thing I wanted to say about what you were talking about is I, I hear you on the bench stuff, but I don't think that's going to change. I, based on what we've seen, I'm not super confident that that bench is going to change. I think you're going to see them hope that Descalso has healed and is able to contribute like he was even close to in the the first half of the season before he hurt his ankle. I was just reading a, a piece on The Athletic by Sahadev Sharma about how Anthony Iaposi and Theo Epstein believe that Albert Almora can make certain adjustments. Now, granted, in the article, it's very clear that they have basically told Albert he is no more than a fourth outfielder, you know, left-handed guy that they're going to try to get going again. He's not starting like that's not happening. But I get the impression that we're not going to see a lot of change. Uh, you know, they've, they've talked to someone like Shogo Akiyama uh, from Japan to potentially play center field, but he's likely not an everyday player and not going to, I think, you know, you were talking about a very small amount of money for him. So I think beyond that, I'm not expecting this bench to look a lot different than it did last year. So I hear you, and this is what we said before the 2019 season began, that if you shore up some of these areas, you can go in with this group and not have made massive changes. Fine, you didn't get Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, but just clean some of this stuff up. They didn't do it, and I don't really get the sense that they're going to do it this time either. But there are players that kind of fit the mold. Yeah, I just don't think that, I don't think they're going to be on the Chicago Cubs. That's my point. I don't know. I, 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 with with the Scalso, I look at that situation similar to Brian Dunstein's contract. Brian Dunstein was making three point five million at an annual average rate, and the Cubs didn't use him last year. They paid him three point five million to 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 not do anything. Scalso is making the same amount of money next year, and I feel if they're going to go into twenty twenty and they know they know the issues that hurt them last year, they had no one at second base for half the year. They had no one to back up Javi Baez when he went down. So they, they know the issues. And there's guys on the market like Jose Iglesias, Brock Holt, Tim Beckham. Three shortstops right there. If they want to get even more defensive, you have Adeni Hechevarria. I'm not saying, hey, go out and get them. But these are guys who have years of viability as defensive type players as well as defensive value first type guys so i i don't know i don't think Corey. i I would be more surprised if they went into the year without improving their depth than if they were to go out and not spend money like that would be the most surprising thing to me because like we we saw what happened like david bodie had issues at second base joe cannot trust them Dascaso was a complete mess the entire year there were no solutions in the middle of the infield you combine that with javi's injury and it was just a spiral downhill so i i, I don't know i i hear you i i get that you're hearing information about al al does have more options left to go down to the minors he could spend you know, half the year like Ian Happ did in AAA until the Cubs are confident that he deserves another chance. Like I, that, that would not be yeah. surprising to me either. So I don't know. 
Well, and look, like also they they tendered him a contract. So I'm not naive enough to think that they're going to tender Albert Almora a contract and then trash him in public articles. Like obviously they're going to say they believe in him and stuff like that. So I'm not I'm not necessarily taking that as gospel, but I wouldn't I wouldn't even be thinking about this, right? I would have non-tendered him in the first place. So I'm just saying the fact that that he has been tendered and I'm even hearing about the, their belief in adjustments he can make and stuff like that, it just doesn't give me confidence that we're going to see uh, all too different of a group. But again, like nothing has really happened with this Cubs team yet. Uh, it's been a lot of talk. So it's it's sort of hard to get a read. And actually, to be fair, we've talked about this. Like I don't, th- I wouldn't necessarily bet on it. But if they can find a way to get Albert to stop hitting the ball on the ground with such frequency, there there might be something there. I don't know how easy it's going to be to make that happen because his profile is pr- pretty easy to figure out at this point. But if they can get in there and, and figure that out, like all the power to him. I'm not going to say like, you know, I have absolutely no belief in Albert. He's 25 years old. Like, and it, it Look, it wouldn't be that hard to be any better than he was last year. So uh, hopefully that's something they can get to. I want want to pose a question to you before you move on here. Okay. He's getting some, you know, some notoriety on social media. But Ian Happ, Corey, Ian Happ has not been talked about that much. I just read off his numbers. He had another above average offensive year last year, most of which came when the Cubs were just imploding. But this is a guy who's been above league average his entire career. And a guy who's a switch hitter, an athlete, made the necessary adjustments. So we think in 2019, would you be comfortable going into 2020 slotting him in 400 plate appearances, kind of like what they did with Al last year? Yeah, I I, I, I think you and I have always liked Ian Happ. We've always been believers in him. But, but would I, you be comfortable with that? I mean, again, like I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what the other options are at at this point. And I think if you were able to bring in someone like Shogo Akiyama, who has more of kind of the opposite profile, really, than Ian Happ, I think he's more. I think Akiyama. I, I like what he brings, but I do think he might be more of a risk than Happ. And you're going to spend five million on that. And well, I'm the, saying the just re- to sort of like put them together and, and try yeah, to maximize like, yeah, the two of them. Because like, again, the duo. basically what I, what I was getting at is that the, the only hesitance I have is that we've heard so much about the Cubs trying to get away from basically Ian Happ's specific profile, right? Guys with the yeah. big swings who swing and miss a lot, you know, home run or bust at times, and looking for guys yeah. that are more OBP contact focused. So... That's the only reason I like. Again, I'm a fan of Ian Happ. I believe in him. I don't know, like, that I believe he's going to be an MVP candidate one day, but I believe he can be a starting player on this team and a productive member of the Chicago Cubs. So I'm all for it in that regard. The only reason I have pause is just like we've heard about them trying to get away from a particular approach, and they haven't really done anything to actually accomplish that. So, you know, you're, you're talking about, I would say Hap is like one of the kind of poster boys for that approach that they're specifically talking about trying to move away from. Um, yeah. So, 
am I comfortable with it? Yes. But just on the whole, you just start to get to that point where you're just like, man, this is another year where we heard a lot of talk about this needs to change, this needs to change, this needs, and it doesn't really happen. So like, you're just like, okay, I guess we don't really care about that anymore. Or I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a good point, right? Like you're bringing up, and Theo's been talking about this, even Anthony Iaposi's been talking about this, how the Cubs, like the the book is there. Everyone knows, and they've struggled mightily. Even Sahad of Sharma has shown this um, on breaking pitches, loan away from right-handed pitchers for right-handed batters. Like That's been their Achilles heel, so to speak. And having someone who is a contact-first guy does kind of mitigate that extreme day where you have, and we saw this for the past three years, where you have guys go out there and they're getting shut down by one particular pitcher, even though it seems they should not be shut down by that one particular pitcher. How many times have you and I talked about how we have this relatively no-name guy go out there and throw seven shutout innings? Well, it's because the Cubs have similar holes and they can be exploited in that sense. If you have someone who's opposite of Ian Happ, where you have that contact type approach, the ability to lay off certain pitches that other guys in the team are more susceptible to, then yeah, I I, I see that. If they can go out and compliment Ian Happ, that's that's fine. But I think Ian Happ, the way I'm approaching his 2020 perspective is similar to that of Kyle Schwarber going into 2019 where there were growing pains, there was uncertainty. Even for the first few weeks, first few months of 2019, Schwarber turned it around. He was the best offensive left fielder in the league in the second half, even better offensively than Nick Castellano. So at at the same time, I want to have patience, but it goes back to the depth. If they can go out and get some of those players with the the portfolio you're talking about, then I'm okay with it. I think at some point you're going to have to kind of see what you got with Hap. I know it's a weird time. I know it's kind of counterintuitive given everything we've been told with this team and what to expect for 2020. But the talent's there, man. And the market for Hap, the return you can get in a trade probably doesn't make sense trading him. So you're going to have to do something with him. Yeah. And again, this all goes back to this is not us talking about our ideal offseason. It's us talking about how to navigate this offseason from the point we're in right now. Because uh, again, like if you started this offseason over, I'd like them to be spending money. I'd like them to be adding major offensive impact. And that just doesn't appear what's going to happen. So if you're asking me if I'd rather have Ian Happ start in center field every day and keep Chris Bryan and just, you know, bring the band back, right? Like, yes, I would rather than shipping off some of these guys, especially if it's not going to be for the biggest package you can possibly get, which is hard to tell. You know, uh, we're waiting on Josh Donaldson to make a, a decision as it relates to the third base market. And, you know, at that point, how aggressive are, are some of these teams going to be? You know, you have like Francisco Lindor dangling out there, but those talks with the Dodgers have apparently slowed down. So it's it's hard to figure where teams' priorities are going to be and, and what exactly everyone is going to be willing to part with. But Brendan, I wanted to talk about one thing that came up during the winter meetings. And I, I, I think this should be a relatively short discussion, but it did come up while you and I were off the air. So I do at least want to talk about that. And, and that was the reports uh, from Anthony Rizzo's agent that they had reached out to the Cubs for an extension. Theo and Jed said, not the time. We're not really on the same page there right now. 
and that's kind of been the last we heard of it. But but I I, I did want to get your general thoughts. If you've listened to this podcast uh, for any amount of time, you should have been able to predict what Brendan is about to say. I'd be disappointed in you if you can't figure it out. The minute you read what Jed Hoyer said, you should have known <laughs> what Brendan was going to say. I am setting you up because you and I disagree on this. But That's fine. I would expect that I know exactly what you're going to say uh, about those comments, but I do want your larger thoughts on just the situation in particular. Uh, and obviously with all the other language going on around about the Cubs in this particular offseason, really last offseason, not exactly the type of thing we need to be dealing with right now, just this particular language and, and story coming out. Well, that's the point. That's why I did not like what Jed Hoyer said. There is no purpose to disclose anything, Corey, to the Chicago media whatsoever. So when Jed Hoyer is asked about his contract negotiations with Rizzo's agent, don't say anything, man. Like He was not even prompted. He said, we were years apart in negotiations. Don't, don't say that because now that's going to be used. And this is my opinion. I think that will be used during spring training when Rizzo's asked about that. And they'll use those types of quotes. We heard exactly the same word, Corey, for three months during the opener of 2019. It was urgency. Why did we hear the word urgency? It's because Theo used it so much in his end of 2018 presser. I hate when you give fuel to something that doesn't need to be filled. Like To me, how Theo Epstein handled it after Jed was the right way to go. Theo said, Anthony wants to be a Cub for life. We appreciate what, you did, what he did. And there's two years left. There's plenty of opportunities to revisit this. It's, it's easy to put out the fire. But the fact that we're talking about this and even talking about Jed Horry's comments is exactly the point. If we're going to be talking about this, then you know Jesse Rogers is going to be talking about this. You know Gordon Wittenmeyer is going to be asking Rizzo about this. I promise you, come, come spring training, you're going to be hearing some of what Jed said as questions to the players. And I do think it is a distraction. At the very least, it's annoying. I'm annoyed by it in the grand scheme of things. I don't think it really matters that much. It's just annoying. Money talks. Money will forever talk in these negotiations, and that will ultimately be what uh, is going to make Rizzo stay. But for the short term, I just don't like the feel of it. I don't like when these front office executives give the media more than they need. And for the last two years, I feel as if the Cubs front office in particular has been worse at that. Years in the past, they never were, I don't know, they never were this extreme in some of their tones. And I do think, yes, Corey, Jed Hoyer is saying we are years apart in negotiations. That was new information that expanded on what the agent said. And it caused kind of a kind of a little mix up on Cubs Twitter and even talking amongst other Cubs fans as well. Yeah. So I, I, I hear you. Uh, and I, I guess just where we disagree is how big of a deal this stuff is. And I just didn't really care about this. It was the agent's decision to put this out there, which I think, you know, is not great. Uh, and, you know, certainly isn't something you like to hear. But at the end of the day, this is a business. It's all, you know, like Theo literally said, it's not always going to be high fives and handshakes, I think he said. Uh, so sometimes, you you know, you just have to deal with that. Chris Bryant's dealing with a grievance right now. Uh, against the Cubs and and their front office. And he 
trust me, he loves being a Chicago Cub. And like it, it, you can separate the business between loving being a part of a team and playing somewhere and stuff like that because it's a business everywhere, right? Uh, but so I didn't love Rizzo's agent putting this out there in the first place. And again, I, I understand what you're saying with adding the language of being years apart and, you know, it's easier to just say it. But to me, it was just one of those things where once the agent says we reached out and they weren't interested or they said it's not the time, whatever, you already kind of know all of this. Sure. Like Jed Hoyer puts some more descriptive language to it, but if they weren't interested in it and they didn't get the extension done, well then obviously what does that mean? They're apart. Well, you can, you can on kind something. of deflate that though. Like that's what I mean by that. You can deflate that. Sure. If Theo responded first before Jed did, then this thing is deflated. Yes. The fact that we're that that that's my point. You can put to bed. Well, it, it hasn't been necessarily an issue that's on fire right now. We're only really talking about it because well, we haven't had Rizzo's a chance to comment not, on it. Rizzo's not in front of the media. Like look look at the whole situation in years. We can look at so many examples years past. Look at even dating back to Jeff Samarja and his contract, or look at Jake Arrieta. Like they they were asked about it and never did their agents come out guns blazing like they did with like Rizzo did and never did the front office respond in similar fashion to how Jed Hoyer did. So I, I am a little perturbed because I know with certainty that you're gonna have guys in that media ask Rizzo exactly what Jed Hoyer was talking about. And that really does annoy me, Corey. I've been riding a motorcycle for 52 years. I started having back pain that turned into a knee pain. I couldn't even sit on a motorcycle. I was like, oh man, am I going to have to give up riding bikes? Kaiser Permanente, they decided I needed a hip replacement. So I was going to do it through outpatient surgery. <laughs> Panned out great. Recovered overnight. Was home by 11 o'clock the next morning. I'm glad I made the choice for Kaiser Permanente. I'm enjoying life. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan in the Mid-Atlantic States, 2101 East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Yeah, no, look, I, I get it. And I, and I, I, you ended up being quite right about the language from the end of 2018 season press conference and how harsh it was towards certain aspects of the team and how that did kind of carry over uh, in a lot of the language of the year. So I, I understand. And I'm already not looking forward to the constant barrage from idiots like Jesse Rogers who live for these problems with the Cubs. It, it, it's what sustains them, right? Uh, they would rather the Cubs organization be on fire than anything else so that they have something terrible to reporting get. by the way by jesse yeah I, i'm just gonna throw it out there that he he insinuated that rizzo was pissed off like you don't have any quotes there yeah no like, come yeah on. we don't have any indication of that yeah and Jeez. and uh, again like both jed and theo whether you loved the way they went about it or not they both said like look we love anthony rizzo like we we're going to talk about this and like theo said he's not a free agent at the end of this season like we have time to do this and really in as nice a way as he could have said this theo basically said like look i have a big mess that I'm dealing with right now. And I, I can't make that the first fire that I put out. Like right. this whole building is on fire. Rizzo's not even in the building at the moment. So like I he's need not, to- It's not as urgent. Yeah. Like his I, I need contract to deal with situation is not urgent. 
Yeah, but one thing I, I always like to point out when we're talking about Anthony Rizzo and, and sort of why I said it, it's it's always going to be a business and you always are sort of going to have to be able to separate some of these things and just understand the realities of it. And I was talking to you about this, Brendan. Like there is not a another group in the world that has stuck their neck out for Anthony Rizzo like the people that run the Chicago Cubs right now. Jason McLeod, Jed Hoyer, Theo Epstein, they have drafted and traded for Anthony Rizzo three times, right? He's drafted by the Boston Red Sox, he's traded to the San Diego Padres, and then traded again to the Chicago Cubs. It's all done with one of those three guys involved at some level, right? So like they have, you know, almost in a way like staked their careers on Anthony Rizzo to a certain degree, right? Like, they could not have shown more belief in a single player than they have for Anthony Rizzo. When they go and to a different why, organization, so they get should have Anthony said, Rizzo. Jed should have, should have said that. That's the type of response I'm talking about. You put Jesse Rogers and Gordon Whitmire, like you, you put them out right away by saying something like that. You give them no ammo whatsoever, yeah. and I wish they would have done something. That, that That's my main point. I, I, I get it. I, I think it's just one of those things where I, I trust that group and their relationship with Rizzo to be dealing with this. And I just didn't care what they said to the media. It felt like a, a manufactured story uh, to, you know, sort of make it seem more interesting based on the agent coming out and saying that. And I, I just didn't, I, I wasn't really that concerned about it. Now, as far as the issue at hand, right, like you y- you have to figure that out eventually, and I, I, there's definitely a reality to it, right? When when this does ultimately happen, Rizzo's going to be older. Uh, he's a first baseman. You know, you you can't literally write him a a blank check uh, as, as the Ricketts should. You know, they probably have the money to. But again, if we're going to be crying poor every off season, we do have to be a little mindful about this. Uh, but you need to find a way, whatever that is. You need to find a way that Anthony Rizzo does not play a, a, a major league baseball game in a uniform other than the Chicago Cubs for the rest of his career. So if they're far apart on that now, you you got to find a way to not be far apart on it because that's just not something that can happen. Uh, we, we talk about a lot of these guys, it, really him and Javi, I guess, uh, as, as sort of the heart and soul of this team, the identity of this team. And we call Rizzo the captain for a reason. And you, you, you cannot have an issue like this persist for very long with someone of Anthony's stature in this organization. So within reason, right, everybody's got to be reasonable about this because it's just the reality of how this works. Uh, But within reason, you have to find a way to keep Anthony Rizzo on the Chicago Cubs. But like Theo said, it's not something that is going to come to a head in this particular offseason. So it's not necessarily the first pile of garbage that Theo is probably turning his attention to because he's got several of those at the moment that he needs to tend to. They require his attention, Brendan. Uh, but that that was one of the pressing issues. And, and there really hasn't been a lot of talk about that necessarily. Uh, but it did just want to throw our thoughts on there. I know Brendan wanted to comment on the way that the Cubs front office responded. And I think just on behalf of both of us, we wanted to get out there like, Rizzo needs to be a Cub for the rest of his career. Full stop. Like, you know, how you make that work, you got to figure that out. But you you do need to, at some point, 
figure that out, even if it's not necessarily this particular offseason. It so, does feel weird, though, too, because you have Chris Bryant, who will be a free agent in two years, and then Rizzo, of course, same timeline. But Bryant's urgency seems so much more pronounced than Rizzo's. And you have to ask yourself the question, why Like, why is that? And the nature is Rizzo is going to be older. He's a first baseman. And it's that same reason that the Cubs can afford to wait to sign that extension. You can figure out the rest of more urgent stuff because Bryant will be making more money on the open market. Bryant's a more attractive piece right now. Right. Bryant is also, he has his brand outside of Chicago. There are reasons to think Bryant's situation is more dire and urgent because the reality is it it is. So I, I think ultimately what I want to see is you, you got to lock down Bryant's situation, hopefully with some sense of clarity this year. Not saying this offseason, but this year. Same goes with Javi. Javi, same type of mindset, shortstop, power shortstop, more, uh, I guess, appealing to other teams on the free agent market. So those guys are going to take priority naturally. It's nothing against Rizzo. It's just the way I think the market has shaped out for someone who's as talented as Chris Bryant and Javi Baez. Yeah, agreed. Uh, again, it's uh, there's a lot. Each chess piece on this particular board, you have to think about the others before you move one. It's a it's a complicated situation that you need to kind of be try to be able to plot a lot in advance. And that's not always easy. So it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of this offseason shakes out. Like I said, I think the key thing you're looking at here is where does Josh Donaldson go? And what where does that leave the teams that pursued him, pursued Anthony Rendon, and ultimately decided or decided not to get them or did not get chosen by those particular players? And again, for the millionth time, I am not advocating that they trade Chris Bryant. They should not do that. I wish we were not having these conversations. But if you're tracking where this offseason is going, that's going to inform a lot of it. And and just for, you know, using an example, if Josh Donaldson decides to go and replace Anthony Rendon in Washington, then you're left with the Braves who have been in on Rendon. They just had and were in on again Josh Donaldson. What do they decide is their next move? Do they get desperate and say, listen, Theo, we will give you whatever you want. Take your pick of the litter. It's yours if you give us Chris Bryant. Then that obviously might change the way the Cubs front office is thinking. If the Braves are like, you know what? Forget this. We've added some things. We feel pretty good about our group. We're not willing to pay this crazy price that the Cubs are asking. You know, maybe that's a direction. And then the Cubs say, okay, we're done with this idea. The, the the asking price isn't there, and we've got to explore other options. So it, it sort of just depends. You reverse that situation. Donaldson goes to the Braves. Then the Nationals are looking for a third baseman, and you see what's there. So that's kind of, I think, what you're eyeing if you're trying to figure out exactly how all of this is going to progress. Uh, some of those talks with the aforementioned Shogo Akiyama from Japan said that he's, I think, down to about four teams that have met with him that have talked, you know, they've made their pitch or whatever, and he's hoping to have a decision by Christmas. So, you know, that could certainly inform what the Cubs are deciding to do. You still have Nick Castellanos, who the Cubs are still connected to. We've, we talked about this, I, I don't remember if it was last episode or two episodes ago, but I, I still don't quite see how that 
all fits with just what we've heard and the lack of any other moves. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I, I see how that one's going to come together uh, for yeah. for the Cubs, but he's still connected to them, and and you know for better or worse, he's still out there. So anything is is technically possible in that regard. But I think that's that's where you're looking. And like Brendan mentioned, some of those guys, if they you know decide to maybe clean up some of those margins, add some bench players and and just go about it that way. That that might be ultimately what they are going to do, but like I said to kind of start the show, the winter meetings have come and gone. The Cubs are in kind of the same exact place. It was not a particularly exciting winter meetings for that, and that is kind of where we are at. As as we get towards the end of the decade, I don't want to do it now, Brendan, but on one of these episodes before 2019 is over, we we should discuss some of our favorite moments from the decade, maybe Cubs. Obviously, we all know what number one is, so maybe that's just excluded. We talk about that every episode, but... Um, I, I do want all of you and and Brendan to you know start thinking of some of those things and and think if there's anything that happened uh, even going all the way back to 2010 that we need to reminisce on and 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 make sure we don't leave it behind in our in our decade discussion. But that's uh, pretty much where the Cubs are at, Brendan. As we head, the winter meetings are over. We're only, you know, a few weeks here from Cubs convention. We're uh, under 70 days until the Cubs play their first spring training game of the season. Like, just just give me like a an, an emotional reading on where you are at, at this particular time. And, and I ask that again, because as we mentioned before, like, it's such weird and not, not exciting language around this team right now. But we are still at a place where nothing has actually happened that that necessarily pushes them in one direction or the other whatever narrative you might be thinking like nothing has really happened so like where are you as we're just a couple weeks away from the end of the year and really getting 2020 and kind of moving forward to this season starting going in earnest other teams in the Central, besides the Reds, have gotten worse. The Brewers have gotten worse. They've lost Yasmani Grandal. The Cardinals have lost Waka. They likely will lose Marcelo Zuna, and their team is aging as well. The Cubs have stayed status quo, but they still have this enormous amount of talent. The Reds have improved massively, but even with their current structure, they're probably not better than the Cubs. They have a lot of uncertainty as well, even with that strong pitching staff. They're a little bit uncertain in that staff as well. So my my read on this team is still a little bit premature, honestly. We've talked about how the market needs to develop. Having guys like Rendon off the board, Garrett Cole, Scherzer, it gives more clarity of what other teams are willing to trade for maybe someone like Wilson Contreras or Ian Happ or Jose Quintana. You have a better idea of what to expect. And I think the the first few weeks of January are going to be rapid in trade rumors. And I think at that point, then we can get an idea of what to expect for the 2020 year. But the point being is you have in this Cubs team a lot of talent, a lot of cost-controllable years, And that's a good thing. Whether they end up trading that for immediate value or trading that to get immediate value and extend their win window, that can only be a good thing in a weird way. I think 2019 has left such a sour taste in our mouths that we should be expecting this extreme change. And 
I just don't know if that's the way to go right now. I don't think we'll even know which direction they go until the first few weeks of January towards February. And I think it's safe to like, you know, hold off your opinions, those extreme opinions until you see what they end up doing. We can get so worked up on all these hypotheticals, but most of the time, those hypotheticals are exactly that. They never come to fruition and they're just thoughts in the past that we'll never think about ever again. First few weeks in January is going to be very vital for this team, but they have a lot of a lot of things working for them that could end up making their 2020 better and years beyond better as well. It was funny today. the The Cubs tweeted out again. We're we're coming to you late on on Monday night here, and they tweeted out a, a couple of names that were going to be at the Cubs convention from the former players' perspective. And it, it was just funny. It, it's always funny to read the replies at this point in the off season. I, you know, I. I send my my best wishes to the Cubs social media team, which is one of, if not the best, in all of sports. Who just they they get a, a mountain of garbage in those mentions at this point. Anytime they tweet anything, but especially with the Cubs con stuff, they're, they're talking about hey, Reed Johnson's going to be there, Miguel Montero is going to be there, Darwin Barney is going to be there. Come check this out. And all of the replies are just like, yeah, well, is Chris Bryant going to be there? Like, because otherwise, <laughs> I don't care, you know. And yeah. so it's it's just interesting because you you were talking about January. It's it, it is sort of weird to think like you know you do have this like big gathering that's this annual thing and like right now like a lot of people are really unsure as to who exactly is going to be there and what it what exactly this organization is going to look like. I, I know people are dying for the Ricketts to do their their panel again, which they didn't last year. Uh, I. I I don't I don't know I don't think that they will uh, but if they did that'll be high entertainment I can assure you of that but <laughs> it's all just to say uh, you know and again like I was reading in the uh, athletic chat with Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma on Monday morning here like they, you know again like they don't have the decision on Chris Bryant's grievance and that Mooney and and Sahadev were talking about it maybe not coming until January and so even just going back to the discussions we were having like. That informs all of this. So even if the Cubs have a, a best laid plan for how they want to go about this, some of it is out of their control. A lot of it is yeah. out of their control. The, the 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 return they might get, the teams that are involved, and just the status on Chris Bryant, right? And and again, everybody kind of assumes the direction that that grievance hearing is going to go, but no answer is no answer, right? And no one's going to make a trade and then have them reverse that or something like that. So. It's all just to say you got to buckle up. Uh, I, hopefully, we're able to just like enjoy our holidays here. Uh, you can celebrate the holidays, enjoy the new year before either anything good or bad happens, and maybe we can Merry just Christmas. relax. Merry Christmas. The Cubs Chris <laughs> yeah. Bryant. Could, could you imagine oh, man. that? 2020 is just canceled <laughs> if that happens. I mean, let's just, let's just call it off. We'll call it a day uh. where we can be done here. But hey, listen, Brendan, I told you we should have just canceled Earth after 2016. We could have just yeah, been I done. Know. So, uh, but regardless, it, it, I, it buckle up is, is my point. It's a weird spot for this organization. I, you guys know it certainly was not in Brendan or I's plans to spend every episode of this offseason trying to figure out what to talk about because the Cubs don't do anything and they spend a maximum of one and a half million dollars on everything that they do at this point. <laughs> but here we are, guys. So as always, we appreciate you putting up with us and, and deciding 
somewhat on uh, you know that I, I can't really understand but we're glad that you guys still want to listen to people talk about the Chicago Cubs because some of the language around this team is really not good uh, but that's where we are and maybe it will all be for naught and we'll look back on these rumors and we'll laugh and laugh and laugh as the Cubs win the 2020 NL Central and make their way into the playoffs I think that's a, a good vision to end this podcast on but other than that same as all always for the off season. We will jump on if something happens. I would say even over the holidays and stuff like that, like if something major happens, one of us or someone associated with the Cubs related podcast, I know Ryan is out there uh, ready to get on here if we need a, a, a an alternate man, but someone will talk to you about what happens no matter what it is. We will be here for you and we will obviously let you know uh, holiday schedule if anything is going to change there. Uh, But for now, we will proceed as normal and jump on in an emergency if we need to. Hopefully, the only emergencies we get are good ones and and stuff that we are excited to jump on here and talk about. But other than that, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs-related podcast. We appreciate all your feedback on social media. We appreciate those five-star reviews in whatever app you are listening to this podcast. And we appreciate your listenership more than anything. So with that said, whether we are once again trying to read the tea leaves and figure out what is going on with the Cubs budget, or we are watching an actual baseball game in in, in the coming months here. We always end this podcast by saying, go Cubs. Our homes today are like little cities full of different internetting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.